Well, we are starting a brand new series this Sunday. I'm so excited about this. We've been talking about this for months now. A series called Messy Church. And, uh, and isn't it interesting that we're starting this on the Sunday where things are getting a little messy physically in our church? If you're watching online, we literally have holes in our wall now, and, and maybe there's a little drywall dust on your chair when you came in. Uh, I want to tell you, things are going to get messier over the next coming weeks, so just prepare yourself, get ready for it. But uh, what we're looking at is we're going to be looking at the book of Acts And I would encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, to go ahead and start turning there. Maybe you have it uh, as an app on your phone or on a tablet. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts. And and Acts is uh, uh, written by the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And can you, do you know who wrote the Gospel of Luke? Any any ideas? Any thoughts? Yeah, a guy named Luke, right? And uh, Luke was a doctor. He was very well educated. And uh, he was kind of a private investigator of sorts. He was hired by a very wealthy man with great influence named Theophilus. And we learned this in the very beginning of Luke's gospel in chapter 1. And uh, Theophilus was, was curious as to this movement of, of Christianity that was spreading across the Roman Empire. So he hired Luke to look into these matters and to investigate them. And so Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, which describes Jesus and actually describes all the way from his birth to his crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascension. And then he went on and he also wrote a record of the first 30 years of the church after Jesus' ascension and looking at the actions of the early followers of Jesus. And so if you layer these, the Gospel of Luke, and you look at the, the actions of the apostles, the, the record that, that Luke wrote, um, you'll see that the Gospel of Luke ends with Jesus' uh, ascension and the book of Acts kind of begins with Jesus' ascension. And so if you're looking in chapter 1, what you'll find is that, that there's this group of just common, ordinary, uneducated guys who had just said, you know what, I'll follow Jesus. I'll do, Jesus, wherever you go, I'm going. Whatever you say, I'm going to say. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. Like, I'm full in. Like, I'm all about following you, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in the process, the Holy Spirit anointed them in a powerful way. And they began to just simply share their eyewitness testimony of the resurrection of Jesus with the people around them and began to share that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for, that Jesus is the only way to forgiveness, the only way to life and to peace and to purpose. And as they began to share this message, man, people began to come to Christ by the thousands. It was incredible. It was awesome. And now 2,000 years later, we, we read these accounts and often we go, man, that would be so cool. That would be so great. And, and it would be. It would be awesome. And, and we're believing that God's going to do this again in our generation. But I want to stop and remind you that it was all so messy. It was chaotic. And we're going to spend some time over the next couple of weeks just kind of looking at the messiness of this first movement of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's an ancient Hebrew uh, proverb that these followers of Jesus would have been very familiar with. Jesus would have been familiar with it as well. And it comes from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. It says this, Without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. In other words, if you want a stable to be pristine and clean, you know, a place where you can have your she shed, a place where you can, you know, set up all your decor and sit down and read a book and not smell crap and all that. Like, if you, if you want to do that, then it means you're not going to have room for any oxen. And the oxen are the ones who bring the harvest. So basically, the idea behind this proverb is, hey, if you want harvest, it's going to be messy. Harvest is always messy. 
In fact, would you say that with me? Harvest is always messy. You can't have, if you want things to be neat and orderly and you want to be in control, you're not going to experience much harvest. And I believe that God is, God is on the, the cusp of doing something extraordinary across our world. I really do believe that we're about to see another revival, that we're going to see, if you know American history, we've had these movements throughout American history that are called Great Awakenings. In fact, back in the 1730s, there was the first Great Awakening, and, and uh, you know, we kind of romanticize our history sometimes, we're guilty of doing that, and we look back and we go, man, those were the good old days. Can I tell you, there's been some dark portions of American history. Immediately after the American Revolutionary War in the 1780s, I mean, prostitution, drunkenness, morality was like in an all-time low. Like, like it was horrendous. You look at the written accounts of that time period. The, we, we had won our independence from Great Britain, but there was no government that had been set up. So you had this vacuum of leadership, and people were just kind of all doing whatever they thought was right. It was crazy, and God once again sent a great awakening in the 1780s, 1790s. It was powerful. I mean, people came to Christ by the thousands. Even in Ohio, we've seen some of the roots of that second great awakening. Out of the second great awakening, most of the major abolitionists, the, the, the men and women who stood up and said, hey, slavery is wrong. This is an abomination. You know, it was out of the second great awakening that a majority of these abol uh, abolitionists were risen up and, and people that began to fight for women's rights and, and women's rights to own property and to, and to be able to have testimony in court and, and to be able to eventually even vote. Like the, the second great awakening in particular was incredibly powerful. You say, Ken, why are you giving us this history lesson? I believe another great awakening is coming. I believe, you know, some people look at the darkness and they despair. I look at the darkness and I go, come on. Come on, right? Like if God's people will humble themselves, if we'll repent, if we'll seek God's face, if we'll turn from our wicked ways, man, we can trust and believe that God will hear our prayers. And as the church begins to take our focus off of ourselves and take our focus off of politicians and begin to put our focus on Jesus Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, man, you can't imagine what God wants to do. I believe we're ripe for another great awakening. By the way, I'm not the only one. There's many other pastors and other church leaders who are saying, man, we just feel in our bones that God's about to bring a great awakening. And it's going to be exciting, but I want you to know, and I want to prepare us, it's going to be messy. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's going to get messy. It's going to get messy. Because God doesn't do things the way that we think that he should do them. Scripture says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Scripture says that his ways are higher than our ways. What does that mean? It means God doesn't do things the way that we think he should. In fact, you want to you be funny, tell God how to do things. And God will just kind of look at you and go, well, that's a great suggestion. <laughs> it is. Over the next few weeks, we're going to journey through some of the messy moments, particularly in the book of Acts. We're going to start today in Acts chapter 1. We're just going to kind of journey through these over the next few weeks. And what you're going to find is that things were messy. And, and we're going to learn some lessons that I think are applicable for you, yourself, as an individual. Learn some lessons that are going to be good for your relationships and the people that you love. But also some lessons for us as a church. Remember, church is in a building. In fact, it's in moments like this in particular that we got to remind ourselves because we're building these structures. This isn't church. Church is this. It's one another. It's us. That even if we don't have a building, that we are church. And so we're going we're gonna to start in Acts chapter 1. 
And uh, again, want to give you plenty of time to find that. Here's the context, is that Jesus ascends to the Father in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. So if you're following along, look there in verse 9, you see Jesus ascends to the Father. What, I, what I'm interested in is what was his last instructions to his disciples before he ascended. So he ascends to the Father in verse 9. In verse 4, he, he's gathered his disciples together and he says, hey guys, listen, okay, I'm about to leave, and they still didn't quite understand that. In fact, until Jesus literally ascended to the Father, they didn't get what that was all about. But he says, I'm about to leave, and he says, here's the thing. I need you guys to stay in Jerusalem. Like, there's going to be a temptation to be scattered, right? Like, if you were here last week, Pastor Aaron did such a great job of talking about what's next. And, and for some of the followers of Jesus before this moment, they had said, I'm going back to fishing, or I'm going back to this, or I'm going to do this. And Jesus says, hey, hey, because he would gotten them all back together, Got the band together, right? He says, listen, stay in Jerusalem. That's in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Stay in Jerusalem. Wait for the promise that my father has for you. And they said, oh, the father has a promise? Yeah, he's got a gift. Oh, I like gifts. What's the gift going to be? He says, oh, I, I can't really explain it. Like, there's no human way to articulate it. But here's the best way that I can describe it. He says, remember, this is in Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. He says, remember when John... The, the baptizer, remember when he was in the Jordan River dunking people in the Jordan River? They go, oh yeah, we remember that. In fact, some of Jesus' disciples had actually previously been followers of John the, the baptizer. And he says, he says, in the same way that John the baptizer was dunking people in the Jordan River, he says, you're going to be dunked in and with the Holy Spirit. Now this is a little bit confusing because on the night of Jesus' resurrection, we read this back in John chapter 20, you can turn to that later on. In John chapter 20, the night that Jesus was resurrected, Jesus, remember, in fact, Pastor Aaron talked about this last week, Jesus like just kind of walked through locked doors and, and drawn shades and he walked right into the room and these guys were wigging out, right? We know they were wigging out because he says, peace be with you, and he says it twice because they didn't get it the first time. Peace be with you. And he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he did something really weird. If you've been around Journey, you've heard me talk about this. He breathed on them, and he said what? He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Or if you're reading in the King James, receive ye the Holy Spirit. I love that language, right? Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus says receive the Holy Spirit, and he's breathing on them, and he says receive the Holy Spirit, did they receive the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? Yes. If Jesus says you're going to receive something, you're going to receive it, right? He says, receive the Holy Spirit. So they're a little bit confused because, I mean, this had been about 30-some days earlier. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus is saying, I need you to wait. You're going to be dunked in the Holy Spirit. Like, you're going to be immersed. You're going to be drenched in the Holy Spirit. They had no idea what this meant. But they knew that the instructions were stay in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem. Gather together. I'm about to do something that you can't even imagine. And so, so what do they do? They stayed in Jerusalem, right? And in fact, it says in verse 14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. And during this time when about 120 believers were together in one place, and I need to pause right here, how many people were together in one place? How many? 120, all right? 120 people are gathered together. Well, where are they? Where are they gathered? Well, if you look at the verse before, it says in verse 13, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. 
Okay, so we got to do a little, little got to get a little nerdy on you, okay? Biblical historians pretty much all believe that they were in the upstairs room of a house owned by John Mark. John Mark was known in church history as being a person who was probably upper middle class. He probably would have, out of all the followers of Jesus and people who are in kind of that group, uh, he probably would have had the most resources. And so, and, and they do that because the square footage here is going to be really important. So if it's John Mark's house, archaeologists who study Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is layers, you know that, right? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're like, I have no idea. Like, if you look at the city of Jerusalem, it's really layers, and archaeologists have discovered these different layers. And 2,000 years ago, when they look at the size of homes, the, probably about the largest that a home would be, as far as square feet, would be 24 feet by 24 feet. Now, if you don't know how to imagine that, I had Pastor Aaron, and I think Megan even helped, like put together the chairs, and some of you get so discombobulated when you walked in. If you can't, if you're watching online, you have no idea, but we messed up the whole room layout today, and some, I think in the first service, someone like walked out of the church, you're like, I can't sit in here today. This is <laughs> craziness, right? Some of you guys who are used to sitting over here, you're like, I can't even deal with that, and they sat over here, right? And so what we did, this is literally, this section of chairs right here is uh, 24 feet by 24 feet. And so think about, how many do we have in here right now? 111. So think about adding nine more people to the room, and then we all cram into this space. Right? And that's what was going on. 120 believers, at the most a space was 24 feet by 24 feet. Look down at your carpet square. We're, regardless of where you are in the room, if you're watching online, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But if you look down at your carpet square, that carpet square is four feet by four feet. Basically... No, two feet by two feet, four square feet. I didn't do so good. Okay, thank you. So, so each of these carpet squares is about the amount of space. Each person would have had 4.8 square feet in a 24 foot by 24 foot space of 120 people. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? So, so here's the messiness that I want to introduce you to this morning. I want to introduce you to the messiness of community. I'm not talking about the hit TV show for several years there. I'm talking about the messiness of community. So here's the reality. You get 120 people in a 24-foot by 24-foot space, different personalities. Some are loud and boisterous, <coughs> Peter, right? Some are withdrawn and introverted, Philip, Bartholomew. Like some, some, and, and you get all these people crammed into this space, right? Can I tell you, I don't care who you are. Any sociologist will tell you it's messy, it's messy. There's someone next to you is going to do something. Peter, did you really just pass gas? Seriously, do you know how many people there are in this room right now? Like, I mean, can you imagine that environment? And they're, they're gathered together, and they don't even necessarily know. Like, like, they know they're there because Jesus told them to be there. That's it. That's all they know. Can I tell you, a move of God is messy, and it's messy. The first area of messiness is community. Community is messy. One of the results of COVID, you know, this past year, I don't have to tell you about this, you guys all know, one of the, one of the results has, has been isolation. And some, here's the problem with it, some of you don't, don't, I don't need any show of hands or amens or anything, some of you have, have enjoyed it. Like you would, you would never say, I, I told you not to give yourself away, so you would never say it out loud, but some of you are like, I really like social distancing. And here's the problem. Social distancing doesn't work too well with following Jesus Christ. 
like inherent in following Jesus, and Jesus understands our personalities. God's the one who wired us, and so it's okay that some are introverted and some are extroverted and all that, but here's the deal. At some point, if we're going to mature as followers of Jesus, we have to be around each other. God himself, before the creation of the world, how did God reveal himself? He revealed himself in community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? Like he himself, God at his very being is community. And so for us to be able to mature, for us to be able to grow, we have to enjoy community. I, I love our online church. In fact, a shout out to all the people watching online. In fact, I told him this week I was going to do this. I got a friend who uh, I've been talking to, Pastor Aaron, I've been talking to about the Bible and stuff. We've had some really great conversations. And uh, he isn't here this weekend. He's in Cleveland. So he's, he's, he's part of our church for the first time via online church right now. Shout out to Jeremy. Glad you're watching today. Can we just say hey to Jeremy? Everybody say hey, Jeremy. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I love it. And so, uh, so I love online church. Online church, we're going to continue to do online church. In fact, some of the reasons why we're designing our uh, new worship center, the way that we're designing it, is to actually be able to have a, a better picture and better audio for our online church. And so there's several things that we're doing with that. We, we are committed to online church. We love online church. We've got people who are able to watch online that could never, even before COVID, who couldn't be a part of uh, us because they're in nursing homes or because they're in situations where they can't join us. We love it. But, but here's the thing. Online church is a horrible worship lifestyle. Now, some, that's, that's, the, that's the best they can do, and man, we're going to provide it, and we love you, and I'm not trying to judge or condemn anybody, but, but when we begin to make online church the way that we experience Jesus just out of preference, it's a horrible worship lifestyle because we need to be around other Christians. Like, we, we, need, we need the fellowship. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23, he says, he says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. He says, his second let us, he says, this will be a sermon someday, he says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. And then he says this, and let us, third let us, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. And then he says this, a very interesting line, he says, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Jesus is coming back. His return is drawing near. We have got to be together. We've got to embrace the messiness of community, and it is messy. You say, well, how, how do we do this? Can I tell you, I don't even know that we do this best on Sunday mornings. I don't even know that sitting in rows of chairs watching somebody spit for an hour and 15 minutes is really, truly the way that we experience community. One of the things we encourage everyone at Journey is, hey, come on Sunday mornings. There's something awesome about hearing the word of God together and being on the same page of the word of God. There's something about worshiping God, singing about his greatness together. That's awesome. But can I encourage you? Take another step of getting involved in community through our life groups. We have some incredible life groups. But you know what? We need more life groups. In fact, this fall, I, I believe we need at least 25 more life groups for the growth that God is going to bring. We need, to be, we need to be ready for this. You say, well, Ken, I'd go to a life group, but I don't have time. You know, we have more time than any culture has ever had. I, don't, I mean, every culture has had the same exact amount of time. But we have more, what I would call, disposable time than any culture in human history. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Think about the amount of time that it takes us to prepare a meal compared to the people 2,000 years ago, how long it took them to prepare a meal. I mean, think about even from a generation ago. Like a generation ago, they had crock pots. 
No, 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 no. We're not crockpots. No way. We have instant pots, right? Come on, somebody, right? Like, think about 2,000 years ago to cook a meal. What did you have to do? You had to send somebody to go get water. They had to carry the water back. Somebody had to make a fire. You had to wait for the fire to get hot enough. Someone had to skin an animal and cut that animal up, and you had to put it on the fire, and you had to wait for that. Now we just open a freezer, or we open a refrigerator door, stick something in the Instant Pot, stick something in the microwave or in the oven, and, you know, go back to scrolling through our phone for 15 minutes, because that's what we do. And then dinner's ready, right? Like, we have time. In fact, there's all kinds of research about the amount of time that we're spending on our devices, on our phones, watching Netflix, scrolling through YouTube. Like, like we have time. The issue isn't, man, Ken, I don't have time for community. The issue is, I don't want to make time for community. Because I'm comfortable the way that I am. And guys, I'll tell you, just personally, the times where I've grown the most and matured the most and experienced transformation in my life spiritually have been when I'm connected to other believers, believers who encourage me, believers who are going to cheer me on when when things are going great and when I'm making the right choices, and believers who will get in my face and say, Ken, I I don't know what I think about that decision there. They love me, and so I receive it because they love me, and we're in community together. Like People who will will help train me and help, help me move forward and go Places I'd never go without it. Like, we need community. We need more life groups. Some of you, God might even this morning put in your heart to start a life group. You say, well, what are these life groups? They're just small groups of people who gather together. And we say in every life group, there needs to be fellowship, and there needs to be prayer, and there needs to be the word of God. Now, in some life groups, it's going to be like the whole, almost all of it's going to be the Word of God. You're going to spend 50 minutes just verse by verse going through, you know, a chapter of the Bible. And and then you're going to spend a little bit of time in the beginning with fellowship and just a little bit of time at the end praying for each other. Some groups are like prayer, like 50 minutes of prayer. We'll spend a few minutes at the beginning connecting. We'll, you know, read a little bit of scripture, but it's mostly prayer. We have some groups, you know, some groups can be attractional groups. You can have a wood carving group. I've got a, one, of my, one of my really good friends has a wood carving group over in Michigan, and he's got all these guys, and they bleed together, and they literally, they call themselves bloody knuckles, and they, they, they bleed together, and, and they share together, and he'll bring like a little devotional, and, and it, they, they can't, they don't have room for the amount of guys who want to come and be a part of this group. We could have walking groups. We could have cooking groups. We already have a knitting group. Like, like we have great groups where it's about fellowship. It's about connecting and learning something together. We need groups for the life seasons that people are in. We desperately in our church need a grief share group or a financial peace university group or a parents of addicted loved ones group or a divorce care group. Like we need groups where people who are just kind of stuck in life and they're in a place where they'll say, hey, I won't necessarily go to a church, but if someone would teach me how to grieve better, man, I'd be all in for that. Like, we, we need groups like that. We need all sorts of groups. And if God would put it in your heart, man, start one. But, but if you're not moved to start one, man, join one. I know that some pushback, you know, some people go, well, I tried a group once. Ken, that group was dysfunctional. They were crazy. I'll never go to a group again. And, my, and if you've been around Journey, you've heard me say this. Have you ever been to a restaurant and had bad service? I have. I don't go back to that restaurant. But it doesn't keep me from eating out ever again. I'll try another restaurant. Carrie knows that for sure. Like, I like to eat out. I want to, you know, just because I have a bad experience doesn't mean I say, I'm never eating at a restaurant again. No, I just go to a different one. 
Have you had a bad life group experience? Go to a different. I encourage people, give them three strikes. Sometimes a group just is off. Give them three strikes. I, I had a group this Friday, the Carvers. Uh, they, they were mostly all in the first service, so I can embarrass them in, in the second service. But this is, this is a picture of the group of that Rick and Lori Carver uh, lead. And, uh, man, they, they have such an awesome time that on Sunday mornings in the first service, you'll see most of them, like, sitting together as a group because they, they just do life together. They have fun together. They play games together. They bring food. They'll eat together. They share God's word together. Like, they, they have a great time. Like, like. You can be a part of something like that, and you'll grow through that. That's where we mature. We have got to, with the move of God that, that God is bringing our way, the move of the Holy Spirit, we have got to embrace the messiness of community. Here, here let's keep going. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. So you've got 120 people in a 24-foot by 24-foot space, and they're experiencing messy community. They're praying. And it says in verse 1, on the day of, what's the word there? Oh, congratulations, you can read. That's awesome. Okay, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together where? It's still in that one place, right? Still in that one place. Okay, let's do the math real quick. The day of Pentecost, Pentecost was a high holy day. So if you've heard of Passover or you've heard of Hanukkah or you've heard of the Day of Atonement, um, uh, Pentecost was one of those high holy days. It was basically a holiday for the Jews, very sacred, lots of meaning behind it. Well, because it was the day of Pentecost, we can do the math, and we know with certainty that there was exactly 10 days that passed from the day of Jesus' ascension to the day of Pentecost. So I want you to think about this. 10 days, 120 believers are meeting in a 24-foot by 24-foot space. Now, we don't believe they were there 24-7. They had to work. They had to eat. They had to go and do things, but they kept coming back. And they kept gathering for 10 days, y'all. This introduces us to the second area of messiness. And that is the area of commitment. Everybody say commitment. 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 10 days, y'all. I, I think about this, and I'm just going to be honest. You can judge me. You can not judge me. I don't, I'd rather you not judge me, but you can judge me for this. I'm thinking like seven days in. I'll be like, you know what? We've been doing this for seven days. Seven is a number of perfection. It's a number of God. Like, I think we've been doing this long. Seven days is good. I'm feeling good about seven days. Chip, you feeling good about seven days? We're good. And, and honestly, they didn't even know what they were waiting for. I mean, they could say, you know what? Back in the night of the resurrection, like, we received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in us. The Holy Spirit's with us. I'm good. You're good. Seven days we've been doing this. Awesome, right? What would they have missed out on? I think about eight days. You know, we've been doing this, the number of perfection plus one. I mean, come on, like eight days, nine days. What if on the ninth day they said, oh, you know what? Like, I got a garden to plant. Like, I got some stuff to do. I got to make another pair of clothes, you know? Like, I, I got some things to do, right? Like, what if on the ninth day they said, man, this place is really starting to stink. <laughs> you know, they didn't have deodorant back then. Think about the chaos. Think about the messiness. But no, they persevered. And the Bible says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Here, here's the thing. They not only were committed to the messiness of community, they were committed to the messiness of commitment. They were saying, we are in. Jesus, wherever you want us to go, we'll go there. Whatever you want us to say, we're going to say it. Whatever you want us to do, we're going to do it. We are all in, Jesus. You say jump, we say 
how high, right? Like we're all in. We're fully surrendered. In fact, I want you to see the level of commitment. If you would jump down to Acts 2, uh, beginning with verse 42. Before we read this, I want you to know this is uncomfortable, okay? Especially for American Christians. Preachers don't preach some of this passage of Scripture because it's very uncomfortable. Let's start. This is the part we're good with. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Are we good? Yeah, we like this. This is good. Okay. All the believers were together, and now this is the part where it starts, it starts getting uncomfortable. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Ooh, I don't know what I think about that one. All right. Let's keep going. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, every day day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching they devoted themselves to correct doctrine they devoted themselves to the church they devoted themselves one to another it wasn't about me it was about we. And can I tell you, that's messy. I mean, maybe you don't, if you've never experienced it, you don't know it, but, but when you begin to experience it, that's messy. Having everything in common isn't very convenient. Prioritizing eating with other people is frustrating because some people chew with their mouths open. It's horrible. Recognizing that the resources that God has given to me and entrusted and stewarded to me that they're not just for me and for my enjoyment, but they're also to bless others. It can be difficult when everyone around me is spending their money in different ways. It's countercultural. Doesn't make sense. We don't like it. They were committed to commitment. They were committed to the gospel. They were committed to be fully surrendered all in. And what was the result? Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 2. This is on the day of Pentecost. We just read verse 1. Verse 2, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Let's just pause for a second. Can you imagine? I mean, put yourself in their shoes. And, and for those of you who have heard this passage before, try to forget that you've heard this passage before. And forget all the Pentecostal sermons maybe that you've heard before. Put yourself in their shoes. Would you be okay, like seriously, and you don't have to answer out loud, you don't have to give me any physical response, but would you really be okay if something like this happened on a Sunday morning at Journey Church? With, would you be okay with God moving in that sort of way? I mean, you know, one minute you're worshiping, and the next minute it sounds like a airplane's about to land in the place. I mean, the, the sound of the wind comes rushing in. You turn around and look at the person next to you, and they've got like a flame of fire, like hovering over their head. And then you notice that everyone is speaking in languages that their mama never taught them. And you recognize you are now speaking in an unlearned language. Like, can we just state the obvious? This is weird. To us, to us, this is weird. Nothing like this had ever happened before. Would you be okay if this happened to you? 
If, if it happened here in this church, and then how did the people outside of the doors respond, right? So what we didn't mention is on the day of Pentecost, the city of Jerusalem would be filled with foreign Jews who had come back. They, and for all these high holy days, Passover, for these other, they, they would, foreign Jews would come back and they would almost make like a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. So the streets of Jerusalem are packed with foreign Jews. And they, they start hearing that there's something going on in the upstairs of this house and, and a crowd gathers together and they start hearing the people are speaking in their languages even though they don't, don't know their language. And I mean, it's just like chaos ensues, right? And in fact, verse 13 says that some of the people in the crowd actually responded this way. It says, but others in the crowd ridiculed these 120 followers of Jesus saying, they're just drunk. That's all. Can we, can we just be real for a minute? This move of God, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit was different. It was noisy. It was weird. It was unexpected. There's people in the crowd going, well, that's never happened to my church. They were made fun of. They were mocked. But can you imagine like a God pours out his spirit in the, in the same kind of way here and, and now you go to Whirlpool tomorrow or you go to your middle school, you go to your high school tomorrow and people are like, I, I, you go to that journey church, right? My dad told me like something whacked happened in there. Are you guys crazy? Are you guys weird? Like, like we read this and we romanticize and we go, oh, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Just don't be weird. Don't do anything uncomfortable. Make it just like it always is, right? Like, I don't want this to be too crazy, right? What would you think about it? How would you react to it? By the way, some of you are still stuck on the speaking in tongues part. You're like, so what does this church believe about that? Like, what, is that really real? I, I would encourage you, we don't have time in this sermon, but we did a whole sermon on speaking in tongues, and you can go to explorejourney.org slash Holy Spirit and, and listen to that this week. I'd love for you, if this is all new to you, if you've never heard this stuff, I'd really love for you to take some time, listen to it on your way to work or whatever, but explorejourney.org slash Holy Spirit. But here's where we are at as a church. Here's where I'm at as a pastor. We are asking God for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit for our generation. More than ever before, the church needs the Spirit's empowerment. We need the Spirit's leadership. We need his conviction. We need his counsel. Our generation needs to encounter Jesus in a way that they've never experienced before. Listen, we have a generation that, that truth isn't, I mean, you can say, well, here's truth, and they'll say, what is truth? They're like Pilate standing in front of Jesus. What is truth? Truth is whatever you say it is. Your truth, my truth, everybody has their own truth. Everybody has their own website that they can go to, news channel that they can go to. You know what this generation is looking for? And we know, we know we've seen this. This generation is looking for an encounter, with, for an experience with God. They want to feel God. They want to know that God is real. And we have a whole generation that's saying, I've never felt him. I've never sensed him. I, I, we're not just looking for an experience just so we can have the heebie-jeebies and, ooh, I felt God. And here, listen, the ultimate result of what happened on the day of Pentecost, if you keep reading, is that Peter was given boldness. The same Peter who days earlier had denied that he knew Jesus now stands in front of this crowd and begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was crucified, that he's risen, that he's ascended, that Jesus has the power and the authority to forgive them of their sins, that Jesus can give them hope and purpose that they've never experienced before. And in that same day that he preaches, 
3,000 people are cut to the heart and give their lives and surrender their lives to follow Jesus. Can you imagine that? Like out of the messiness, out of the chaos, out of the, ooh, I don't know about that part of it, that now you have thousands of people in one day who full-on surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. See, when the Holy Spirit comes and visits his people, he comes on his own terms. His visitation will be incredible and it will be empowering, but it might not be comfortable for some of us. It might not fit inside of the box of how we think that God should act, maybe even the ways that we've been taught that God should act. And I would encourage you, look to the word of God. Read through the book of Acts. Every time you see the word spirit, as you read through the book of Acts, circle it and ask the question, what am I learning about the Holy Spirit here? See, I think in the church, sometimes we, we talk out of both sides of our mouths. On one hand, we want our kids and grandkids to have an encounter with God. But on the other hand, we have all these stipulations and parameters for God to move. We want the harvest, but we also want it to be neat, comfortable, and convenient. We don't want it to last too long, and we don't want it to cost too much. We don't want to get too involved, because that's just weird. And do I really have to commit this much? So here's my question. Are you willing to experience messiness? If God decided to pour out his Holy Spirit the same way that he did to these believers on the day of Pentecost, would you be open to his move? Are you open to the messy? Are you willing to embrace community? Are you willing to give yourself to commitment? We live in a generation where we don't, we don't commit to anything. Don't take Christianity out of the equation for a second. Ask any service club or service organization. Ask the VFW or the Rotary or Kiwanis or Exchange Club. Or ask any service club organization and they will tell you there is no commitment. What if we decided we're going to commit ourselves to the gospel, to Jesus Christ, to give ourselves to him, no matter the cost to our own convenience, the cost to our own time? When you think about the messiness of community and you think about the messiness of commitment, let me ask you this question. Which of these two are you the most uncomfortable with? It is for, this is an individual question. Which one do you go, oh man, that's, that's a hard one for me? Community or commitment? Which one's the hardest for you? So here's my follow-up question. What step do you need to take toward that which is uncomfortable? What, what do you need to do? Maybe for a community, maybe it's saying, you know what? I need, I need to be a part of a group. Maybe it's starting a group. You know, it doesn't have to be a journey church group. You know other followers of Jesus at work? Maybe it's saying, hey, during lunch on Thursdays, we're going to get together and we're going to, we're going to read God's word together. You know, that, that's community, right? We're going to encourage each other. We're going to pray for each other. It can be that. But what step are you going to take toward community? Maybe God's put it in your heart to start a group. Let me know that. Let one of our pastors know that. We'll, we'll show you the pathway for being able to, to start a group. Maybe for you, it's the issue of commitment, and you need to step into commitment. You know, during COVID, we, we had about half of our church volunteers step down and step out of ministry. And I, I, I mean, we understand that. We get that. But you know what? At some point, we have to decide, I'm going to step back in. I'm going to step back up. I'm going to get involved. 
Here at Journey, we've realized that if, if enough people are involved, nobody gets burnt out. But when it's just a few people are having to carry the burden, man, that gets frustrating real quick. And we're not as effective. We're not as effective. Which means lives aren't being changed, and people aren't being empowered, and communities aren't being served. Maybe you need to start. Maybe for you, you need to make a decision that you're going to become a full-time follower of Jesus. I say, what do you mean by that, Ked? I mean, I think sometimes, especially in American Christianity, there is the, the sense of, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm just like part-time. <laughs> I go to church. I give God an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday mornings. I get a verse of the day emailed to me, or I look at it as on an app on my phone. But what if you decided to make the switch and say, Ken, today, beginning today, I'm all in. I'm, all, I'm going to be a full-time follower of Jesus. When I walk into my middle school, I'm walking in as a follower of Jesus. My primary identity is I'm a follower of Jesus. When I walk into my high school, when I walk into my factory, when I walk into the bank, when I walk into the hospital, when I walk into wherever, maybe, maybe I'm a stay-at-home mom, when I, when I go downstairs and see those little monsters in the morning, I'm walking in as a full-time follower of Jesus. I believe someone in this room, God's moving on your heart. He's calling you, hey, the metaphor I see in my mind is, is, a, is a person who has their toes in the water and they're just enjoying the water. And the Holy Spirit's saying, just jump in. J just jump in. The water's nice. It's great in here. Come on in. For some of you, the starting point, this is just a starting point, is saying, I'm going to be full on, full in. I'm all in. I'm fully surrendered. In fact, if that's you, I'm going to ask you right now to stand to your feet. And don't stand because people around you are standing. There's something inside of you that's stirring right now. And you say, Ken, I'm all in. I'm going to be full on. I want to be a full-time follower of Jesus. I've kind of been part-time. I'm going to be full-time. Come on. You know, you know it. Right now there's a war going on inside of you. You're like, oh, I'm not going to do it. Just do it. Just do it. In fact, the fact that you stand when you don't see anybody else standing, it shows all the more that oh, this is for real, right? Come on. There's others. You know it inside of you. Like You're like... I'm going to be full on. Full on. I'm not playing. I'm not playing. I, I've been part-time. I'm full-time. I'm clocking in, baby. I'm all in. I'm fully surrendered. I'm all in. I'm not going to be a casual Christian. I'm not going through the motions. I'm all in. I still feel like there's so, several other people. I don't know who you are, by the way, so I don't want you being like, man, Ken's reading my mail. Like, I just know God's put in my heart. There's still several others. If it's not you, if you know it's not you, just start praying for other people in this room. Just God. I'm telling you, it's part of the messiness. So you want me to stand in front of a room? Yeah, it's messy. Giving up control is messy. Never know what God's going to do inside of you when you take that step. I'm full on. I'm full on. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you right now. I, just thank, I thank you for those online that are watching right now. Maybe even in the comments, if you're watching on social media, you would just say, that's me. I'm standing. <laughs> no one can see me because I'm in my living room. I'm standing right now. God, I, I just pray right now for my friends right now. They're standing. They're saying, you know what? I'm done with part-time Christianity. I'm going to be full on, full in. I'm fully surrendered. <laughs> God, I pray you would put a resolve inside of them. I pray, Acts 1-8, that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, that they would be witnesses, 
People around them would see that they act differently, they think differently, they react differently. That there's a change, there's transformation. God, I speak blessing over them. I speak life over them. I speak peace. I speak the mind of Christ over them in Jesus' name. I rebuke and renounce every lie of Satan that would come against them in Jesus' name. That they're not good enough. That God doesn't love them. That they'll never measure up. That they've, they've made so many mistakes. Why even try? God, I rebuke that. They would hear the truth. That Jesus died on the cross because he loves them so much. That's how valuable they are to take upon himself their punishment. That they are forgiven in Christ as they respond and receive the grace of Christ. As they, as they right now just say, God, I repent. I've sinned against you. I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing. But God, I'm coming back to you. I give my life to you. I surrender to you. God, I pray they would experience your life and your purpose, and your peace. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are in them and with them and that you desire to overwhelm them and baptize them. We love you. We love you. God, we love you. If you're part of Journey Church, and, and again, don't do this because everyone around you is standing, but if you're part of Journey Church, you say, I'm committed, this is, this is my church, I'm going to ask you to stand as well. If you're a guest, you're welcome to stay seated. No one's judging you. No one's looking around going, why ain't that person standing? If you're part of Journey Church, I want you to stand right now. You're saying, this is my church. This is my, this is my place. I belong here. Can we just right now ask God for hunger? In fact, I'm going to ask you, if you're watching online, I'm going to ask you to join us with this. Here's my dare for you this week, okay? Every time you think about food, you shop for food, you see food, or you eat food, I want you, that covers a lot of bases, right? I want you to pray this prayer, God, give me a hunger for you. God, make me desperate for you. God, give me a hunger. I want a hunger for you. Give our church a hunger for you. Give our students a hunger for you, God. Give my kids, if, you're, if you have grandkids, give my grandkids. If you're married, give my spouse a hunger for you, God. Can we just pray that for a moment? We have, we have a few moments before we need to dismiss. We just, as a church, out loud, this is an all pray, okay? You've heard of an all skate when you were in your skating growing up. This is an all pray. Everybody, let's all pray together at the same time. God, make us hungry for you. God, give me a hunger that is greater than I've ever had before. Give me a desire for you, God, that I would want you, that I would want your spirit, that I would want your empowerment, that I would want your counsel, that I would want your leadership, that I would want you, oh God. God, that I would not just fulfill the desires of the flesh. God, that I would, that I would desire the things of the spirit, oh God. Oh God, that we would produce your fruit. We pray for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We want your fruit. Holy Spirit, we want to produce your fruit. We want your gifts. God, we welcome your gifts. We receive your gifts. We want to step into your gifts. God, that you would give men and women and students in this room. Give us words of wisdom, words of revelation knowledge. Give us prophetic utterances, oh God, boldly speaking forth your word. Oh God, I pray for tongues, interpretation of tongues. We pray for faith, discernment. God, we pray for healings and workings of miracles, oh God. We receive your gifts. Give us the boldness, God, to step out into your gifts. Oh God, stir a hunger in us, oh God. Stir a hunger, God, that we would have a holy dissatisfaction 
that we would say thank you, God, for what you've done, but more please, more please, oh God. More, more of your spirit, more of your power, more of your boldness, oh God. More please. And not just for us, so we can be empowered, emboldened to be witnesses. God, that we would begin to see people being added to your number, not to Journey Church, but to your kingdom, to your number every day. God, there would be people being added to your number. God, that this would affect churches in this community. It wouldn't just be for the growth of Journey Church. God, we're praying every Bible preaching church in this community. Every church that declares the gospel of Jesus Christ would be emboldened, would be empowered, oh God. God, we love you. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing. We love you. We praise you. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.